Um, so when I was way younger, um, back in middle school, which isn't that long ago, I guess, but uh, I was in middle school, and it was during Spanish class, and I don't really remember. This is when you tell a story about seventh grade, your memory only remembers select things. But I remember we were doing assignment of some kind, and the papers of everyone in my row just start to slide towards me. And so all the papers come to me. I have no idea why. And the bell rings. And so I'm like, okay, I remember just putting my stuff in the, the bag and just kind of going on with my day. When I got home later, I went to go, you know, take all my stuff out of my backpack and realized, oh, I have all these papers that I probably don't need. So I'm looking at them, and I, wa- I remember walking over to the garbage and standing, like, in my hallway, in my, facing my garbage, and just kind of being like, I don't think I need these, right? And I had some doubt, like, ah, should I, should I keep them? Like, no, I don't, we, we did it in class, like, tomorrow's going to be a new day, I'm going to have all these waste of papers. So I decide, you know what, I'll throw them out. So I throw them out. The next day in class, teacher takes attendance, she's like, all right, all good. And, oh, by the way, we're missing everyone's assignments from this row. And, I, and everyone's like, well, well, we passed it to An- Andrew. And everyone's looking at me, and I, I just started to laugh. It was like one of those moments where you just, you just knew this just can't get any worse. You're in seventh grade. This is terrifying. So I just started laughing, and she's like, oh, wait, what, what happened? I go, okay. So the papers came to me. I took them, and I threw them out. And I thought she would be satisfied with that, but she wasn't. She was like, oh, that's okay. Like, why don't you just, just go home and go to the garbage? You put them in, you could take them out. But here's something I failed to tell you and her. When I stood over the garbage can, I'm like, see, I'm an extreme person. Either I'm going to need these things forever, we're going to laminate them, we're going to keep them forever, or I'm going to rip them up in little pieces because I'm a seventh grader who wants to just be chaotic. So I rip everything up, throw it out. So I said to her, not only did I throw them out, but I ripped them up. And then like that, the story ends because it's all I remember. So I guess I didn't get in trouble too much um, back then. And you might be saying, well, Okay, why are we talking about this? Because I guess the thing is, is I had two beliefs. I said, I either need this or I don't. And I kind of doubted it for a moment and then went ahead to rip it up anyway. And so tonight what I want to talk about is I want to talk about our doubts. Because have you ever had like kind of two beliefs warring against one another? Maybe one belief was like, oh, I should go to this place or no, I shouldn't go to this place. I should date this person or I shouldn't date this person. I should go to this school or I shouldn't go to that school. I should, should apply for the promotion or I shouldn't. And you kind of have this doubt, like, what is the right thing to do? See, we've all at one point or another have dealt with doubt. Maybe we've doubted if our job would last. Maybe we've doubted if, if that relationship we're in is the right one. Our finances will be enough. And sometimes we've even taken it all the way to even doubt God. Is God, are you there? God, have you heard my prayers, are you listening, are you working, are you actually doing miracles in this day and age? And so for Christians, this might look like maybe you're wondering, hey, well, God, are you going to provide? God, are you going to show up? For those of us who are not Christians or, or you're new to the faith and you're just trying to figure out what you believe, maybe for you, it's just more or less like, is God even real? You know, science and and religion, you know, some people say that they belong together, but some people say, no, they disprove one another. So you have your doubts there too. So it's important what we do with our doubts, because here's the thing. When it comes to doubt, our tendency is we don't really know what to do with it, because here's the thing. We have two choices, two issues, and when we can't figure it out, a lot of times, what do we do? We kind of put it on the back burner. Our tendency is to sometimes just be like, you know what? In time, it'll iron itself out because here's what I know about you and I. We live on Long Island. Long Island is a very busy, fast-paced 
place. And so we don't really have time to challenge our doubts. We have to worry about school. We have to worry about papers and finals. We have to worry about the job. We have to worry about the kids. So a lot of times we spend a lot of our time just kind of pushing our doubts off to the side. Phil Riken said this. He said, some believers spend too much time doubting their faith and not enough time doubting their doubts. And I just want to think about this for a moment. Maybe we don't doubt our doubts enough because we view doubts like a shameful thing. Like, oh, I have doubts. Like, I can't let anyone know, you know? So maybe like, you know, for those of us in the church, we're like, oh, goodness, I have to always be like, oh, I believe 100%. I'm not doubting anything. And we like worry about trying to, to look good, you know? And the thing is, is our culture teaches us that we need to look good at all times. I mean, Instagram, man, like everyone's just there hair is perfect, and and here's me in Tahiti. It's like, yeah, here's me in my garage. Like, that's how I feel. That's why I don't post my Instagram. You're like, man, you got to be up on that. Yeah, I will try it. But a lot of times we live in a fast-paced culture, so we don't challenge our doubts. Tim Keller, he says this quote, and I think it'll be really helpful for us to kind of understand our doubts a little bit more, and he says this. There is still faith in doubt. Because you can't doubt belief A, except on the basis of some belief B, that you're believing at the moment. And so here's what we see, is the presence of doubt in my life and in yours says, to some degree, that we believe something. But our beliefs are warring against one another. All the more important why we need to sort them out. You see, what's at stake here tonight is this. If we look at our our doubts as shameful, we look at them as we're kind of embarrassed to admit that weakness maybe we have, we maybe look at it as weakness, then we're going to be held back. Then we're never going to see ourselves progress in our faith because we let these roadblocks get us. Because here's the the truth, is that doubts, when ignored, turn into unbelief. When I ignore my doubts, when I push them to the side, eventually, slowly but surely, it turns to unbelief. And then when we don't know what we believe, this is when all sorts of things creep in. We try to fill the void in our hearts, and we experience depression, we experience anguish. And tonight, the way we deal with our doubts, it matters. And so let's just kind of look at a few scriptures here tonight in Mark chapter 9. If you have your actual Bible, go ahead and do that. If you want to thumb through on your phone, you can pull it up. It'll be Mark chapter 9, and we're going to just kind of see some aspects of how we can doubt our doubt. And so this picks up in Mark chapter 9. Jesus takes um, Peter, James, and John, takes three of the disciples. So we do quick math. That's how much out of 12? Nine are left behind. Um, So nine are left behind to kind of do whatever. He takes three guys um, they go up to the mount, this mountain, they, they pray, the transfiguration happens, really cool thing to look into, but then Jesus comes back down from the mountain, and they kind of go to meet up with the other, the other disciples, and this is where we pick it up in this story. Mark 9, 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes were arguing with them. Okay, so the scribes, we're picking a fight with the nine disciples left behind. So Jesus leaves them for I don't know how long, and they come back, and there's, there's something going down. 
And the scribes were the people who copied the law. They knew the law. They wrote commentaries on the law. They memorized it. They preserved it. And so these guys were like your typical know-it-alls. They were like your the little younger brother, the, the know-it-all one, who like comes up to you trying to prove you're wrong all the time. I don't have a little brother. I have a sister, which is great. So I don't have to deal with this. But you know what I'm talking about? Like that, that little per- whoever that person is in your life that's like, you're wrong. And you're just like, I know, but leave. You know, that's who the scribes were. So the scribes were looking for any opportunity to interrupt and prove that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. And so in verse 15, it says this, Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began, began running to him to, up to greet him. So this was kind of awkward timing. Because here they are, they're doubting Jesus, and then up comes Jesus. Boom, like that. It's kind of like before service, I was up in my office getting ready for the message. And so I come downstairs and I hear John talking about like certain phrases that I might say in the message. He's like, yeah, when Andrew says this, look, we'll mark it down. It'll be funny. Oh, hey. And he turns there and just stares at me. And I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> you're making bets about me before I speak? You know, it was really funny. Awkward timing. It was like they were talking about me and boom, I was there, right? Um, I thought that would be funny. It was supposed to be funny. It wasn't to embarrass John and Laura. Hey, guys, love you. Um, keep marking down. Here's the thing. Uh, what are the words you write there? Um, but it's kind of like that. See, the people were with Christ. And I'm mean, sorry, the, the scribes were, were picking apart Jesus' ministry. And, and all of a sudden, boom, there's Jesus. So the timing was perfect. And just kind of a small little point here. God's timing is always perfect, isn't it? If we look honestly, we'll see that God's timing is perfect. So he shows up to the scene, and he walks right up to the disciples, and in verse 16 he says this. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out. And they couldn't do it. Wow. Imagine like long vacation weekend, you come back to that. That's scary. That's scary. And so Jesus asks the disciples, and the disciples don't say anything. That this, this father, he speaks up for the disciples, which kind of says a little something about the disciples. Is that they were, were, were tired. Maybe they, they felt dejected. They, they were silenced. But this father was so passionate and begins to fill Jesus in on what happened, that he brought his son to be healed, and he wasn't. And here's what we know about this circumstance. Is that everybody in this scenario had belief. The disciples, they had the belief that they're going to be able to cast this demon out of this kid. They're like, yeah, we're going to do this. It's going to be great. The father might have heard of Jesus' ministry, might have heard of what Jesus was doing, tracked him down, had such hope in his heart for this to happen, and then for it to not, brought him discouragement. See, they all started with belief, but then what happened? Life challenged it. It didn't go according to their plan. Life came in. And they began to doubt. And this is where our doubts come from, right? You know, maybe a situation, it doesn't really go your way. You begin to question, you begin to say, why does this look like this? Maybe there's there's two sets of truth that you're believing, that you're trying to sift through. 
Maybe you see the hypocrisy of people. I remember when I was in fifth grade, uh, we had D.A.R.E. Does anyone remember the D.A.R.E. program? Dare to keep kids off of drugs or something like that. And so there was um, this officer would come in and talk to us about drugs and how we shouldn't smoke. And then one day I was talking to my buddy and he's like, yo, I saw our dare, dare officer. She was smoking. And I was, I remember just, I was in fifth grade. My head felt like it was going to blow up. I was like, what? But she, she showed us graphs. Like she said, you know, and she, so thrown off. But see, like, we, we know what the truth is, right? But then life kind of comes around us and challenges it. We see a contradiction. The disciples, they're like, hey, Jesus is going to, you know, we were going to be able to cast this demon out in the name of Jesus. They were excited about it. But then what happened? It didn't happen. Contradiction. They started experiencing doubt. And so we can so often build our theology of God off of our experience. Let me kind of just say that again. So many times that our experiences kind of, we kind of take our experiences, we put them together and we say, well, this is how God must be. And the temptation that you and I have when we go through hard things or we experience doubts of any kind is to build our theology of God off of those experiences. And so the first challenge as we kind of go through this text when it comes to doubting doubt is this, is that we don't let your experiences define your truth. Number one, don't let your experiences define your truth. Because the scribes, they saw this kid wasn't healed, so they said, oh, well then Jesus may not be who he said he was. The people in the crowd were deflated because what they expected to happen did not happen. And so we continue in verse 19. So they tell Jesus this. Jesus sees the situation, and this is how he answers. In verse 19, he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Now, if we look at that at first glance, it almost seems like that Jesus is a little harsh. He's a little impatient. But Alexander McLaren says something really awesome, and it's going to be up on the screens if you'd like to follow along. Here is a little window through which we may see a great matter. Do not let us forget that in this short, sharp cry of anguish that there may be detected by the listening ear not only the tone of personal hurt, but the tone of disappointed and thwarted love. Because their unbelief, he knew that they could not receive what, was, what he desired to give them. We find him more than once in his life hindered, balked, of his purpose, thwarted, as I might say, in his design, simply because there was no one with a heart open to receive the rich treasure that he was ready to pour out. And so the question is, is that, well, is, was Jesus unable? No, Jesus is able. Jesus is able to heal, able to work. But the people and their hearts were not able to receive what Christ wanted to really give. And see, maybe tonight you're saying, all right, Andrew, well, why do we need to know this? Because when we refuse to deal with our doubts, we miss out on what Christ wants to give. When we refuse to kind of say, you know what, I'm just gonna push what I am struggling with aside. I'm not gonna even seek God on it. We're gonna miss out on what God wants to give to you and I. For, you, for the Christian in the room, for the breakthrough that you've been praying for, or maybe you're still in the storm, but maybe peace to get through it. 
Maybe that miracle or maybe just a little bit of clarity tonight. And if you're not a Christian and you're searching, man, if, just, if we hit pause on all of this, if there's actually a God out there that loves you, that died for you, that wants to empower you, that wants to give you purpose and meaning, when do you want to get to the bottom of that? Because if you have doubt and you're not sure, that's fine. This is a great place to come to ask questions. I mean, we welcome that. We love that. But a lot of times in our culture, it's like when we don't know the answer for something, we just kind of put it to the side. When we struggle with doubt, we're kind of like, I'm just going to go along with my life. I'm just going to put that on the back burner. But tonight, regardless of what we believe, we got to go into it because belief matters. A few weeks ago, Joey uh, did a message called uh, Captive. And he was talking about how we need to hold our thoughts captive. And I, I kind of want to take that idea and kind of say this. What if we held our doubts captive? We didn't let them go. We interviewed them. So, all right, hey, here you are. I'm going to deal with you head on because I know that in the other side of this, my faith will grow. I don't have to be in this war of two beliefs, but I'll be able to see growth. And so number two tonight when we doubt our doubt is that we need to hold our doubts captive. And so Jesus, his reaction tells us a lot about his love. When Jesus is looking at these people, he's saying, oh my gosh, like how long do I have to be with you? Basically, Jesus is saying, how long does my love for you have to be thwarted? How long do I want to pour myself out to you? Are you going to reject it? And so that's the, the, the heart of what Jesus is saying when he says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up? With you, And then he says this, he says, bring him to me. And so he's talking about the kid. So these people don't believe, these people are, are questioning who he is, but he says, no, no, bring him to me. He shows them mercy despite their disbelief. And in verse 20, we see this. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him immediately, the spirit threw him into a convulsion. So the, the, the demon inside this kid is throwing this kid to the ground. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. This is a typical Thursday for Jesus. Terrifying night out for you and I. But this is insane. Like, imagine you're in the crowd and you're seeing this kid freak out. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They just brought this kid to Jesus. And now it appears like it's worse. And see, the truth is, is that we need to realize is that sometimes when we bring things to Christ doesn't mean it immediately gets better. A lot of times in our, in our world, we kind of want a quick fix. I was just thinking about Amazon, and Amazon Prime offers a two-hour pickup. Isn't that crazy? You can be like, yeah, I don't know, you do, I'm not on the phone, who does that? Go online, and you order something within two hours, you're still on your couch, you're still watching a movie, it's there. Like, they have this two-hour pickup. Like, our world is getting faster. They have, they're talking about drones dropping things off? I don't know how I feel about that. But our world is so quick. You want an answer, you can Google it. You want to play a game, you want to play Words with Friends, you can do that right now. Actually, Words with Friends is so old, but I still play it. Okay. Um, but we kind of want a quick fix. Isn't that true? And see, the problem with that is because tonight, maybe life is confirming your doubts. Maybe you're like, I don't think God loves me. And here's why, Andrew, and you could rattle off all the different things that are going on. And I'm not here to take that from you. But one thing I want to encourage you is this, is that so many times... People walk away right before the breakthrough. 
And so I just have this one line for you here tonight. If that's you're someone who's like, Andrew, I'm just close to just giving up. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Well, then this line is for you. So you need to stay through until you break through. Tonight, some of us really need to grab onto this line. If you hear nothing else I say, that's fine. You need to stay through until you break through. Hold on to Jesus until you break through, until the doubts disappear, until the situation you're struggling with has resolved to some degree. Because so often you and I were tempted to back off, walk away right before God shows up. And imagine if this father picked up his son and took his son away. And so this kid is rolling around, foaming at the mouth, terrible, terrifying scene. And this is what happens in verse 21. Jesus, he asks his father, so he asks the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, man, I love this. Jesus is calm. The prince of peace, Jesus, is calm. Why? Because he knows what he's doing. He knows what's coming. And he's drawing out this guy's faith. And so he asks him how long it goes on in verse 22. He, the father continues to explain. He says, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And so the spirit in this kid is, is beating him up. Imagine being that father and seeing your son being tortured. And you have to consistently follow him around so he doesn't hurt himself. This is what this father is going through quite anguish but then this is what the father says in response so this father is is hurting and he says this to jesus he says but if you can do anything but if you could see the doubt and hear the doubt in his word but if you can do anything please take pity on us and help us and i can only imagine that time almost felt like it stood still everything that began to fade and then in verse 23 in verse 23 jesus said this And Jesus said to him, if you can, oh, man, I wouldn't want to be that guy, if you can. And so Jesus highlights this kid's doubt, I'm sorry, this father's doubt, head on. And then he continues, and he says, all things are possible to him who believes. And right here, you and I, we would say, But this father has doubt. This father's struggling. And so if all things are possible to people who believe, if you're struggling, well, then that means he's out of luck. That means that he's not, his son won't be healed. But look what happens next. See, the father says something so profound, and it's something I believe you and I here tonight can really get a lot out of. In verse 24, immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I do believe, but help my unbelief. What does that look like a lot? But doubt, I have these two feel, these two beliefs warring against one another. I do believe, but help my unbelief. He's honest. Doesn't cover his doubt up. Goes to Jesus and it says, I need your help. And see, the best part about this story and the difference between the father and everyone else is that everyone in this story is finding faith in themselves 
The disciples, see, they, they got a little excited because they were going around, they were healing people all the time, but this is the first time they didn't. So the disciples, they had faith in their own abilities, in their own experiences. Their truth became their experiences, not Christ. The scribes, see, they had faith in their knowledge. All their life, they've been told, you're the smartest, you're the best, you, you, you copy the law, you know the law, you're the ruler of the law. And so they thought like they were. They had faith in their own abilities. But the answer was in front of them the whole time. And it was Jesus. And this father, who the scriptures and the commentators say that literally when it said he cried out, he literally tears flooding this guy's face. He's broken about his doubt. He knows he has belief, but he knows he needs help with his unbelief. See, God has a very tender spot in his heart for the sinner seeking help. And he has a very tender spot in his heart for those who doubt, but yet come to him for belief. See, Jesus always spoke to the heart. A lot of times you and I, we care about the outward. Jesus cares about the heart. And so after the father says that, verse 25, we pick it up. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsion, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, raised him up, and he got up. This is remarkable. The father begs Jesus, help me with my unbelief, and Jesus grants his request. That says to us that our God cares about our doubts and that he can handle them. And so number three, when it comes to doubting doubt, bring your doubts before the feet of Jesus. Bring your doubts before the feet of Jesus. You can only imagine tonight as we kind of wrap this down a little bit, the guy in the crowd that shouted out when they saw the kid and it looked like he was dead, they're like, oh, he's dead. And then Jesus helps him up. I would never want to be that guy. I probably would be, you know. It's like, oh, he's dead. It's like, no, Andrew, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, you kind of just want to hide, like, in the back. Like, yeah, it was Steve who said it. I didn't say it, you know. But here's the thing about that. I would never want to be him because that's just embarrassing, right? But here's the thing that we can realize, that our world around us is quick to look at a situation and say, the situation's dead. There's no faith in God. Science has proved this. Our, our world is, is quick to say that relationship's going nowhere. You should confirm your doubt. The world is so quick to define, but here's what we need to realize is that things don't always appear to be the way they are. Things aren't always what they appear to be. And so tonight, when we have our doubts, we can't take them as truth, but we need to learn how to doubt them. And so tonight, what I want us to get is this, that, strong, that, is that stronger faith starts with doubting our doubts. That stronger faith starts 
with doubting our doubts. And tonight, as we wrap this up, we've got to realize that life will not always play out the way that we want it to sometimes. That God's ways are higher. And some of the things that we go through, some of your doubt may not be answered in a way that you want it to be. It may not be answered word for word or letter for letter. But can I, I can assure you that God can be trusted. I can assure you that as you have your heart open and as you learn how to doubt your doubt, you're going to see breakthrough. Because stronger faith starts with doubting our doubts. And just to give us a quick recap here tonight, number one, we don't want our experiences to define our truth. Hold your doubts captive and bring your doubts before the feet of Jesus because he could be trusted. Because here, what if we started seeing our doubts not as an enemy to our faith, but instead we saw our doubts as identifiers of where our faith can grow? What if we welcomed our doubts? What if we say, hey, wow, I have an opportunity to grow my faith. What if we looked at it as a good thing? Man, we would grow tremendously as a church. We would be people who would know what we believe instead of putting it on the back burner and kind of walking through life, living aimlessly. And so if you're a Christian here tonight, um, how have you been doubting God? How have you been struggling with something? Maybe for a moment here tonight, just go before him. Begin to kind of think about those things, maybe quiet your heart now and just allow him to kind of speak to you here tonight. Um, but if you're not a Christian or you're new to faith and you're trying to figure all this stuff out, I hope you see here tonight that we believe that our God could be trusted, that he loves you, that Christianity is not about us like outperforming and trying to earn our position, but it's that Christ came, he died and paid for it. He paid so we could be close to him. Hope you would see that our God wants to give you so much more than you currently have. And there's um, the guy I quoted earlier, Tim Keller, who talked about belief, faith having, I'm sorry, doubt having some, some belief in it. Uh, a man in his church who was not really a believer uh, sent him this message, and I thought it was really cool for us to read as we close here tonight. This is what this guy said. I don't know his name. He's just some guy at this guy's church. He said this, I had never realized there had to be some faith under my doubts. And when I looked at the things I did believe, I discovered I didn't have good reasons for them. When I started to examine some of the bases for my doubts, faith in God didn't seem so hard. So tonight, if you are wrestling in your faith, you're just trying to figure it out, I encourage you to, to doubt your doubt because stronger faith starts with doubting our doubts. And for the rest of us in this room, maybe who've doubted God's love. Maybe you're in a situation where you're like, man, I don't know if God loves me. Tonight, there's a rugged cross that we could look to. There's a cross, there's a cross where our Savior died, where he shed his blood and he gave his life. And anytime you doubt if God loves you, just remember that rugged cross where he took your sin and your shame, he took my sin, my shame, and died in our place. Our God loves us. He's not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of the situations we struggle with. And as we bring them to him, he's so faithful to answer and so faithful 
to work in our lives. And so stronger faith starts with doubting our doubts. Would you guys pray with me here tonight? God, we come before you and like that father, we say, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. God, we thank you that your presence is so good to us when we come before you. Thank you, God, that no situation that we go through or thing we struggle with, God, is, is far from you. God, we thank you for the times where it seems like you're not there, but you actually are. And so, God, we want to give you our doubt here tonight because we know that belief matters. And as you help us work through things, work through questions, God, we thank you that our faith grows. And when our faith grows, God, we're able to receive more. Our hearts are able to be more open to what you want to give. God, we miss out. Tonight, we don't want to miss out on what you want to give to us. So God, tonight, we just invite you, invite your presence, God, to work in our situations, work in our lives. We just thank you, God, that you can handle it. We thank you that as we challenge our doubts, that you'll help us to walk through the fire of these struggles and find truth because there's plenty of it out there. And plenty of it is found in you. So Jesus, as we stand to worship, as we look to seek your face tonight, God, I pray that we would hear your still, small voice speaking to our heart. We'll be able to experience freedom tonight. We thank you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus.